invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, 26. Since we're leading up to the birth of Christ, I thought we would go back in our study of Luke to the these beginning chapters where the birth of Christ is foretold and actually comes to, to pass and is recorded there. And today we're going to be looking at uh, this account of, of the angel Gabriel uh, announcing to Mary that she will bear the Messiah. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, may God bless the reading and hearing of his holy inspired and errant word to us today. Well, like I said, since we are coming, on Chris, coming up on Christmas and, uh, and we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, I thought it would be uh, good to take these next several weeks to go back to the birth of Christ and the events leading up to it. And uh, as we reflect on the first coming of Christ into the world and, and how re people responded to his coming, uh, may we prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ. How can... How can you respond, how do you respond to the news of his coming? Uh, how do you hear that and respond? How will you receive him when he comes? And this passage and the others we'll be looking at will certainly give us a guidance as to how we should do that. So today, as I've mentioned, we are looking at the announcement by the angel Gabriel to Mary that she will give birth to the, to the Messiah her response to uh, the angel and the circumstances surrounding the announcement teaches us how we can respond to the news of Christ's coming and welcome him. Now, four qualities shine through in, in this account, uh, four qualities that would be required for us to be good disciples of Christ. That's what... Mary is, in essence, yes, she's got a special place in, in the history of the world as being the one who, uh, who bore the Messiah. And that's a special 
grace to, to her, but we can all receive Christ and be united to him and to be his followers because she did become a follower of Jesus, one of his disciples. Four qualities that we see here exhibited by the circumstances and the, the, the response of Mary to this word from the Lord is, first of all, humility and reflection, belief and submission. And we'll see how each of these uh, is, uh, Mary is an example to us and how they, we, we need to exhibit these ourselves. Well, when the angel Gabriel is dispatched to earth to announce to the mother of the Messiah that she is the one who will bear and give birth to the Savior, he doesn't go to Judea in Jerusalem. You might think that that would be the, the prime candidate to go and find a, a king or to have a king born. The temple is there. The palace is there. That's where the kings reside. No, he doesn't go there. Rather, he goes to a tiny, insignificant town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a non-place. It was not even mentioned in the Old Testament and wasn't mentioned by early church historians like Josephus. It was an insignificant little town, a halfway stop between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon. And in fact, when Nathaniel is told that, uh, by his friends that we found the Messiah, it's Jesus of Nazareth, his response is, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So needless to say, poor little Nazareth had a bad reputation. It was on the wrong side of the tracks, we might say. And Gabriel comes to this little town in the middle of nowhere to a young, poor, teenage girl. Some commentators believe she was as young as 12, but very early in her teen years. And from all indicators, if she would, were to go on without any uh, word from the Lord, without any interaction with the angel Gabriel... Well, then her life would not be extraordinary at all. She would probably marry humbly. Of course, she was engaged to Joseph, as it says there. She would give birth to numerous poor children, and she would never travel further than a few miles from home and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Martin Luther remarked about this. He said, he, God, or the angel Gabriel, he might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, the, the high priest, who was fair, rich, clad in gold-embroidered raiment and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. And when she does give birth to Jesus, because you see this is kind of the way that God works, uh, who are the first people to find out about it? Well, it's, it's the, the lowly shepherds. Shepherds. Shepherds didn't have a good reputation in the day. It was a low-level, low-paying job with no status. Well, the point is this. The Lord comes to humble, needy people, not to the self-sufficient. Mary's circumstances were humbling, 
uh, and that made her a wonderful candidate to receive God's grace. And that's what she did. She received God's grace. She's very blessed because she's unique in the history of the world. But the same is true for us. Yes, we're not obviously not bearing the Messiah as she did. Uh, and perhaps you're not poor like Mary. But Jesus says to his disciples uh, that, 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 that those disciples, those who are part of his kingdom, are the ones who are poor in spirit. People who recognize before God that they are impoverished because of their sin and are completely dependent upon the Lord for his mercy and grace. That's the kind of heart that is ready to receive grace. That's the kind of heart that Mary had. And she received God's grace. We see that. And that brings us to the second quality of, of good disciples is the quality of reflection. We need to hear this in our day and time because few people today reflect upon things with any depth whatsoever. I think our attention spans have gotten so short that we really can't concentrate long enough to give anything much deep thought and reflection and contemplation. We see here in verse 28, when Gabriel appears, he comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled or agitated at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Well, this is a famous greeting, of course, um, where he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, that's a great translation that we have. It's certainly not Hail Mary, full of grace, that uh, one version uh, very poorly translate. And the, that poor translation came about because of the Latin Vulgate's translation. Uh, it's too strong of a translation to say that she was full of grace. And that, that faulty translation gave rise to the medieval idea that Mary had every gift, not only spiritual but secular, even above those given to angels. And that gave rise to the idea of Mary being a dispenser of grace, resulting in prayers being offered to her. And the ultimate extension of this thinking came on December 8, 1854, when Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, teaching that from the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was by the singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of mankind, kept free from the stain of original sin. Well, that doctrine is a sad, totally unjustified distortion. And Mary would have been appalled at the thought. She was a sinner just like we are. And she was a very blessed sinner. And she is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, God used her and chose her out of all the women in the world, to bear the Messiah. So, yes, we don't want to think too highly of her that she's sinless, but yet also we don't want to think too lowly of her either. She's a great example of Christian discipleship and godliness. Well, verse 28 says, Greetings or rejoice. Uh, you who has received grace, the Lord is with you. So 
he says two things to her basically and they go hand in hand. First of all, that she should rejoice because God is showing her favor, grace. She's not the dispenser of grace. She's one of the people who has received grace. And that grace is that the Lord is with her. God's presence is with her. That's the greatest grace that we can receive is that the Lord would be with us, united to us even, and in communion with us. Well, she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern. This is where the contemplation, the reflection comes in. She was trying to figure out what he's talking about. And you can understand why she might be having a, a little difficulty trying to figure out why the angel is talking to her in this way. I mean, here she is. She's a poor girl from an insignificant place with not a lot of promise in the world. She's betrothed to a man who's just a lowly carpenter. And yet here comes an angel telling her that she's found favor with God, that the Lord is with her, that she is blessed, and she should rejoice. Hmm. I wonder if she's sitting there going, what in the world do I have to rejoice about? In this sad little town, without much going for it. Well, she's about to find out how wonderfully blessed she's going to be. But you see her here reflecting on the word that she has received from God via the angel Gabriel. She's wrestling with it. She's trying to understand it. She's trying to figure out what it has to do with her, what significance it has for her life. And her inquisitiveness is rewarded with more information. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, the Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It seems to me that she understands that part, because the next question she asks is, How will this be, since I am a virgin? But back to that first part, um, she would recognize this from her going to the synagogue and hearing God's word read that this is, this is the, the promise of the Messiah. The angel is telling her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. But how can that be? She's never known a man. So she asks that question and she's going to find out even further how that will come about through the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, Mary is a great example of someone who wrestles with the truth of God's Word and, and wrestles with the consequences it has for life. That's what Mary is doing here as she processes this. I mean, hey, you know, we don't have an angel come to us like that, and, and any time an angel appears to people, it's, it seems to be shocking, and they always have to say, do not be afraid, because apparently angels weren't fat little babies with bows and arrows, they were very imposing spiritual figures that frightened people. But Mary is focused in on the word that is given to her and the promises. And that's a great example for us today, to contemplate the word of God. What are the promises given to us? The promises of Christ. What does that mean for, for you? 
Have you ever wrestled with that? Have you ever wondered, what does this have to do with me? Well, the third thing we see here that Mary exhibits is faith or belief. Notice what Gabriel says he, he, as he lays out for her all that's going to happen to her, and he continues on. And when she asks how, since I'm a virgin, uh, he says the, in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And it's the same kind of language you have of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in, the, in creation, hovering over, over creation. Uh, there's a creation going to happen inside your body. The Holy Spirit's going to make this happen. And then he gives her an example of how the impossible can be done. Her kinsman, her relative Elizabeth, uh, she was elderly, she had been barren all her life, and now she is six months pregnant. In this wonderful verse, 37, nothing will be impossible with God. So she's told about that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, that it's going to be a virgin birth, and that God will do it. He will do the impossible. And her response to all of this is not, oh, go on. <laughs> you can't be serious. No. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She heard God's word. She wrestled with God's word. And she believed it, embraced God's word. And that's the question for us. Do we believe God's word. Do we believe the promise of the Messiah? Do we believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus? Do we believe that Christ is coming again? Do we believe that he's setting up his kingdom? The new heavens and new earth. We will live forever with him. And that's really what this world's all about. Do we believe that? And what difference does it make for your life today? Well, finally, the fourth quality we see here exhibited by Mary is one of submission. Not only did she believe, but she submitted. It's not that she just got the facts and said, okay, I, I, I believe what you're saying is true. She invited that truth into her life. She embraced it and said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her faith was an act of submission. She's saying, yes. Yes to the Lord, to submit to it. Have you ever said yes to the Lord? Have you ever said these words that Mary says? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be, a me, to, be, let it be to me according to your word. Have you ever brought that attitude to your prayers? Have you ever brought that, those words to the Lord and given your life into his hands and said, Lord, Whatever you ask, whatever you would have me do and be, I will do that. That's what Mary said. And that's also what Jesus said. The same words in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. And because of that, because of Mary's submission to God's word, and Jesus' submission to God's will, we come today for, for God. 
We can come to his table. We can fellowship with the Lord as one of his people. Through their submission, we are able to enjoy salvation. Mary brought the Savior into the world. She was willing to be that one. God chose her out and blessed her in that way. Jesus came into the world with a purpose and he saw the, the struggle, the pain, the toil that it would take and he faced it. He submitted to it. He obeyed the Father. And because of their wonderful submission, we are able to, we are invited to come into submission to the Lord. We are invited to give our lives to the Lord. We are invited to be a, a part of his family, a part of his kingdom, just like Jesus and Mary. Ask yourself these questions today. Do I, have I recognized my need? Have I recognized that I'm a sinner in need of grace? Have I reflected upon the significance all this has in my life? Have I stopped to really think about what God's Word says, what the Gospel says, and what are the implications for your life? Have you ever thought about that? And, and do you believe what the Scriptures say and the promises that are made there? Do you, have you examined that and wrestled with it? Is this true, and is it true for me? It's true for you if it's true. It's true for everybody if it's true. But what does it mean to me? How should I respond and how your response should be to submit to that? Put your life in the Lord's hands to trust him for his grace and mercy. May the Lord give us grace to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and the encouragement that it is to us. Thank you for how you came into the world uh, and laid down your life for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to be in your family, to be part of your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to ever walk in humility, studying your, your word, reflecting upon it, believing it, and submitting to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.